So we've been doing this thing called the Apostles' Creed. We've been going through this, this thing that uh, Christians came up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And uh, this, these things are not, uh, you know, it's not some type of incantation that we just recite and it's got some type of magical powers. It doesn't save you to say these things over and over and over again. But this is a good way for us to go through and remember what we believe. It's clear and it's concise and it's a way for us to remember big doctrinal ideas in a short and clear way. And the point is not to preach this creed because creeds do not have power apart from the Bible. But what the point is, is to hold this thing up and to uh, look at it in the light of God's word and say, are these things true? And do we believe these things? Because this is the core of our belief as Christians. Uh, We're going to see this uh, describes who we are. Now, last week we talked about uh, the difference between knowing and believing. There are two different things, knowing and believing. Knowing doesn't cost us anything, but belief leads to action. Now, I, I might think that a chair might hold me up, but I don't really believe it until I sit in that chair. There are lots of things that we know that we should do, but we don't act on those things. You might know that you need to start exercising or know that you need to stop smoking, But until you act on those things, you don't really believe that that will make your life better or that it's important enough for you to actually follow through with. If if you don't uh, take action, you don't really believe it. Last week, we agreed that we believe that God is our father that made everything. And we uh, quoted this quote by Matt Chandler. He said, Uh, And when we said last week several times that our God is an infinitely powerful and intensely personal father. That's such a comforting thing to know that we have an eternal creator God that is our father. Because it's one thing to know that he's God and he's big and he's mighty. But it's another thing to know that he is personal. I believe in God, the father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. See, God the Father is one part of the Trinity, the three in one, three distinct beings in one. One plus one plus one equals one. That's the Trinity. But Jesus is another part of the Trinity, and we confess that we believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's check out Matthew 16, 13. We're going to see some uh, uh, interaction between Jesus and his disciples. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some said John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
See, Jesus comes into the city of Caesarea Philippi, and he, he asks his disciples, all right, guys, we've been doing this ministry thing for a while. How's it going? When you're out there in the markets, you're out there in the temple, what are you hearing? Who do, who do people say that I am? Who do people compare me to? Or who do people think I am? And the disciples say, well, people think you're a reincarnated prophet. Maybe John the Baptist, who was beheaded, or maybe Elijah or Jeremiah, or who knows, one of the other prophets. Maybe you're a reincarnated prophet. But Jesus then gets personal. He says, okay, that's what other people think of me, but who do you say? You're inside my ministry. You have a personal relationship with me. You're the closest to me. Who do you think I am? Peter speaks up like he always does, right? He, he's quick to jump in. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You guys remember sports? It's this thing that they used to do. Uh, they football, all that kind of stuff. You remember when you used to watch the NFL and down there at the bottom of the screen, they would introduce themselves and uh, you'd, you'd, you'd hear their college and, and what position they played and all that. Would you ever notice that with Ohio State, whenever the player would come up there, You'd have someone like Nick Bosa, and he'd say, Nick Bosa, the Ohio State University. Well, why did they say that? Well, they want you to know that they're the real deal, right? There's no counterfeit. There's no confusion. The Ohio State, not any other knockoff, the Ohio State University. Well, Peter here doesn't say you are a Christ, a son of the living God. He says you are the Christ. See, people had claimed to be the Messiah before. And they've claimed to be the Messiah after Jesus. But make no mistake, there is no confusion. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ that the Old Testament said would come. You are the Savior, the King of Kings. You are the Anointed One. Remember, Jesus and his disciples were in this city called Caesarea Philippi. It was on the border of modern-day Lebanon and Syria. Uh, this uh, city, though, before it was called Caesarea Philippi, it was known as Paneus, which uh, was named after the god Pan, the Greek god Pan. And so if you look at the, the Greek gods, there was a Greek god for just about everything. So in the city that formerly was named after a Greek god, you would have seen a stark contrast when Peter says, you are the Christ. You're not just a Christ. You're not one of the little Christs. You're not uh, just over, you know, the forest or the seas or the, uh, you know, the, the air. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Bible has referred to other people and us as children of God in the past and throughout the Old Testament. But Peter also makes a clear distinction here when he says you are the son of of the living God. Yes, we are all children of God when we think about the fact that God created us and God is our Father, but Jesus is unique in his sonship to the Father. He's God's only begotten Son. He's co eternal. He has always been and will always be. In the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus walks in supreme authority. He has unlimited power. He can raise the dead. He can raise himself from the dead. The demons tremble when uh, he comes in contact with them. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, an equal part of the Godhead. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, the Lord. Now that word Lord you're going to see in the New Testament over and over and over again in reference to Jesus. Jesus the Lord is, and those phrases are in there over 150 times in the New Testament. It's one of the most common ways to refer to Jesus. Jesus the Lord. And that was a clear reference to Jesus' deity. The fact that he is the savior of the world. And that word Lord has so much power and weight to it. Can you imagine calling you know, your boss Lord or, or someone in your life? We as uh, you know, individuals and as people that rebel against authority, I, I can't imagine myself ever referring to anyone else other than Jesus as Lord. But he has supreme authority over everything. Master, Lord. He's over everything, but yet he uses that power to save you. Isn't that amazing? God, this big God concerned about you and your problems. He has so much weight and so much strength, but yet he's so gentle and merciful to us. Jesus is meek. That means he's got power under control. He is not a tyrant. He is the savior of the world. He is Lord so awesome to look at these things. You know these things, right? You would recite these things. You've learned these things. You know that Jesus is the Christ, that he raised from the dead. You know that he is part of the Trinity, the Lord, the Savior of the world. But do you believe it? Has it called you to action? Has your knowledge pushed you to follow Jesus, the Lord? Lord means master. That means whatever you want me to do, God, I will do. Jesus, whatever you say in your word, I'm ready. I realize it applies to me, not to someone else. I will follow you. Have you scoured God's word and studied the words and works of Jesus, knowing that God in the flesh walked this earth to show us how to live this life? Do you see Jesus in scripture and think to yourself, that's my king That's my Lord. That's my master. Wherever he sends me, I will go. Whatever he tells me to do, I will do. It's all his. I will follow King Jesus. All right, you ready? We're going to recite this Apostles' Creed together. See, doctrine like this is what binds us together in hard times. These core beliefs that have always been true. And we reject the idea that our opinion on these things matters. We reject individualism here, that we just want to be independent. No, we say we believe these things corporately, and I can have my ideas about the economy. I can have my ideas about politics, but these things are non-negotiable. And whatever my truth is about these doctrines holds no weight. We believe the Bible. We believe in the God of the Bible. All right, you ready to recite this together with me? And make sure... If your husband's over there, you know, not paying attention, looking at his phone, you just smack him on the back of the head, all right? You ready? We're going to say these things together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And we're going to dive deeper into the Holy Spirit when we get to that part that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But now we see, finally, we see the full uh, Godhead of the Trinity here at play. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, C.S. Lewis described that as a dance, the Trinity as a dance. A relationship between three persons of the Godhead that is so close that they indwell one another and take part in each other's works. See, the Trinity is more than just a math problem. The Trinity is a relationship. Now turn your Bibles, if you would, over to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And if you're very familiar with the Gospels, you might say, oh, you know, that's a Christmas passage. But check this out. We're going to see all three parts of the Godhead of the Trinity here together. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. You ever heard of her? And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying. It kind of freaked her out. Me? Favored one? The Lord is with me? And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's the second part of the Godhead. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how? How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit. There we see the third part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age have also conceived a son. That was John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month with her. Who is called barren. Verse 37 For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, this text is so much bigger than just Christmas. The virgin birth is so much more important than just a manger. Why? Because Genesis 3 tells us that we live in a broken world. And ever since sin came into the world, ever since that brokenness occurred, brokenness has begot brokenness and sin has begot sin from generation to generation. And you don't need glasses to see that there is something wrong with humanity. There's a thirst inside us that cannot be quenched. There's a longing inside us that cannot be met. There's a hunger inside us for beauty and depth in our lives that we can never seem to attain. 
And commercialism thrives on this, right? They tell us that we should be happy and that there are things that we don't have that can make us happy. And they have the answers, whether that's new shoes or to lose weight or to catch more fish or to fix our finances and fix our business success or relationships. Whatever you're missing, they have the answer. And for $29.99, they'll give you that answer. But what is really wrong with us is not our broken finances. It's not our broken relationships. It's not our broken physical bodies. Those are all just symptoms of a problem that is deeper called sin. Now, sin can happen a lot of different ways. There's two major ones. One is rejection of God. Sin can be rejection of God through selfish desire, saying my way, through materialism, saying these things will fill me. Humanism saying my ideas and and the ideas of humanity are the biggest or individualism rebelling against God. But all these things are bankrupt. Sin can be rejection of God, but sin can also be when we embrace religion, but we make it a God. We imagine that we're good people and we're certainly not bad people, right? So we rely on our strength. And really, we're, without realizing it, we're still rejecting God, but it's just a little bit more passive and it's a little bit more nice looking. Jesus really called out this type of sin. In fact, in the New Testament, he spoke to some religious leaders and he said, hey, look, you're painted and nice looking on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of a rotting corpse. Dead man's bones. In the Old Testament, God says several times, look, I know that this thing I set up was, uh, you know, required a sacrifice, but there's a problem with when you uh, give this sacrifice of of an animal. The problem is, is you're not sacrificing with your heart and there's no heart behind it. It's just religion. It's just ceremony and ritual. And and plenty of times in the, the Old Testament, he says, I don't really want your sacrifice. I want a, 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 a sacrifice of your heart. And David realized this in Psalms 51 after he had sinned with Bathsheba. He says, for you will not delight in a sacrifice or else I would give it. You will not be uh, pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what is that saying? What's my point? Yes, you can sin through rejection of God completely, but you can also sin using church things, using religion things. But why are we even talking about sin? I thought we were talking about Jesus and the virgin birth. Well, that's because this is the world that God stepped into. We're all born in sin. And because of this, this broken world we are in is constantly searching and trying to fill ourselves with empty things. But God sent an answer. God sent a messenger, Gabriel, to a virgin named Mary. And Gabriel told her, hey, look, you are going to have a baby. And he is the son of God, the savior of the world. What does Mary say? Mary says, how? How? That's a great question, right? That's not, that's not a bad question. I've never been married. I've never had an intimacy with a man. How am I going to have a baby? 
Gabriel tells her it's going to be an act of the Holy Spirit. And we see in that passage, in, in this great rescue plan, that all three parts of the Trinity are at play. God sent, Jesus came, the Holy Spirit conceived and empowered. Now, obviously, this is miraculous, and the how here does not make sense to us at all. And if your teenage daughter comes to you and gives you this excuse, as a parent, you're going to look at her and say, ah, no, 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 that, that, that's not what happened. Now, we've seen God open wombs in the Bible before, and he has the power to do that. But like this, it has never happened before, and it will not ever happen again. The Holy Spirit conceived. How? Well, God answers this how for Mary in Luke one thirty-seven. we just read. Gabriel told her, for nothing will be impossible with God. God is immensely powerful and intensely personal father. And nothing is impossible for him. Because Jesus' conception and birth was so miraculous, God ordained and different. It had to be this way. Why? Because he was not born into sin like we are. Romans 5.12 spells this out, and this is so cool. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, it's talking about Adam there, sin came through Adam and Eve, and because of that sin, death came, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned. This thing, sin, is a hereditary disease that we inherited from generation to generation. And Adam's birth was different than any other, right? God formed him. And sin and death entered the world through the first Adam and his wife Eve. And death spread. But then, God sent, Jesus came, the Holy Spirit conceived and empowered. Skip down to verse 17 of Romans 5. It goes on. Because that's not the end of the story, where, where Adam sinned and death came. It says, for if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. See, Jesus' birth was unlike anyone else. And righteousness and life entered a world of pain and death. Why? Because Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was born of a virgin the second Adam, our Savior, and he obeyed. And because of that, righteousness and life reigns now. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He is the Christ, the only Son. Jesus is Lord. And he came into a broken world. And he made a way for us to have righteousness and life. If you're watching today, are you still? No one else is looking around, right? You're in, maybe some of you are in your house right now alone. Are you still trusting in religion to save you? 
ritual and ceremony and lists and deeds. And during this time of online uh, worship, you've realized maybe more than ever before that you really depended on a building or you really depended on the ceremony of it to make you feel like you were a good person. That may be a clue that your relationship might not be personal. Now, obviously, the church is a together thing, and we need this. We need each other. But if that's what you're resting your hope in the next life in, then there's a problem. Because good deeds and religion and ceremony cannot save you. It is empty and bankrupt. Or do you believe in your heart on Jesus? Not just know that he's the son of God and you can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. But are you sitting in that chair with your life? Are you believing on Jesus? Here's a clue. Are you believing enough for those things to change you? When God says do, is that what you do? When God says, don't do that, is that what you endeavor to do? Now, we're all sinners and we all fall short, but are you pushing and following Jesus Christ with your life? Why? Because real, true belief changes us. That's what salvation is. It's not just a thing you know. It's not just a prayer to recite. It's a belief that is big enough that you act on it. That's what repentance means, right? Repentance means I'm going in one direction, but I believe enough to turn in the other direction. It's turning from my good works and my good deeds and and, uh, some faith that my grandma was a good Christian and she prayed for me and, and all those things that we excuse and we say, no, wait, I believe on Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only hope for my salvation. We believe enough to change our direction. Today, we've seen our need for salvation. And we live in a fallen world, a broken world. If you're watching today, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, our Lord? You can do that right now. It's a perfect place to do it, right? If you were here in person, you might feel pressure, but there's no pressure. If you were here in person, you might feel a little bit embarrassment. There's no embarrassment. And even if there was, honestly, it's, it's more important than that. Can you go back to a time and a place where you believed, not know, but you believed on Jesus? You understand your need for a salvation. You understand that there is sin that separates you from God. There's brokenness that separates you from God. But that God in the flesh stepped into humanity and he lived a perfect and a holy life and he died on a cross and he took all the punishment that you deserved and then he rose again on the third day, defeating death and sin forever. Have you done that? Have you called out to God? You can do that right now. It's not a magic prayer. It's not an incantation. It's about your heart, a sacrifice of your heart, a broken and uh, and contrite spirit. You can call out to God with something like this right now. Dear Jesus, 
God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. Turning from everything that I held on to, I'm turning to you. I believe on you. Thank you, God, for saving me. If you've never done that before, that's the first time you've uh, called out to God, or maybe just the first time you really understood it. Because this isn't something you do every time you sin or fall, because God is bigger than that. God is bigger than your sin. It takes nothing for him to forgive you except for your will and your heart believing on him. God asks us to make that choice. He gave us the opportunity to do that. But if that's you today, won't you private message me, Phil Wayman, on, it, on Facebook, or you can email me at uh, pwayman at clarksburgbaptistchurch.com. Hey, if you are really excited about it and you're not ashamed of it, drop it in the comments. Say, hey, I chose Jesus for the first time today. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing to know that you had a relationship with God? Not just that he created you, but that he is your father. And the rest of us out there, the question is for us, have we leaned on our knowledge of the Bible or are we leaning on belief? Because belief changes us. Belief leads to action. And belief leads us to growth and growing and healthy things produce fruit. So you know those whole fruit of the spirits, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, all those things? Is your life characterized by those things? Or are you just leaning on your flesh and your selfishness and your wants? Talk a lot about what uh, you deserve. We've got to lean on Jesus Christ once and for all. The worship band's going to come right now. And we're going to sing and we're going to lift up the name of our Heavenly Father. Let's go ahead and pray and seal the, all these things in our hearts.